After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. We're today John Manuel and J.J. Cooper. We're going to talk to you about American League West top ten prospects. Uh, obviously, with every, podcast, with every podcast, we take your questions. I haven't given this email out in a while, but podcast at baseballamerica.com is a way to get those questions into the podcast, or you can tweet at us at jjcoop36, at John Manuel B.A., and we'll talk American League West top ten prospects wrapping up our six-issue extravaganza. We are going to put a bow on it, sort of. Yeah, we got a bigger still, bow. We got a bigger bow that goes over all of it. We have two more big bows. We'll take a little break here, a little breather, everybody but me and Aaron Fit, and to a lesser extent, Jim Callis. Hey, and I we'll, have to put all that on the website. That's going to be. You do, but we'll all write up early draft preview and the 2012 college preview issue, uh, which is in full swing. And in a, after that issue, that little two-week, three-week interregnum of college baseball in the draft, we'll hit you hard with the top 100 prospects. That'll be the big bow. The other big bow to me is the prospect handbook. So we're going to actually have a second podcast about the prospect handbook that we'll record here today uh, on this Friday in January. But let's wrap up the American League uh, and all of our top tens, JJ, talking about the uh, uh, top ten in the American League West. And, of course, if you want 30 prospects, go to baseballamerica.com slash store to get your 2012 prospect handbook. That's, well, that, that, that's one way. If you go to baseballamerica.com slash store, you can order the prospect handbook from us. And while you can order it elsewhere, and that's fine, order it however you want to order it. But if you order it from us, we go one louder. We'll have the and 31st prospect, a supplement of a 31st prospect for all 30 teams. And also worth noting, and you'll get it a lot sooner. You will get it a lot sooner. The books are arriving today, and they'll be shipped shortly thereafter. Um, so the Prospect Handbook and all your Baseball America 2012 uh, reference books are available at baseballamerica.com store. J.J., the American League West a uh, very ch- dynamic landscape in the Na- American League West. You've got uh, a team, the most likely team in baseball to move, the Oakland Athletics. First of all, they've already moved three times. So if there's any franchise that's most likely to move, well, they, it's they, the A's. they still got some boxes lying around somewhere. That's right. There's still some Philadelphia A's yeah. fans kicking around. And we know Bill James is still a Kansas there, City A's fan. I, I know a Philadelphia A's fan. Well, that's, he must be 70 minimum. He, he does our opits. <laughs> Bill Carl, I didn't know that. No, right now. Oh, Ray Nemec, okay. Ray Nemec I, is uh, I, I did not know that Ray Nemec was a Philadelphia A's fan. Well, there are still some of those guys around. So now San Jose really would not be a big move. But uh, it would be a big move for them financially, but obviously not geographically. But we're talking about a, a, a dynamic division with a new team coming in in two seasons, the Houston Astros. We've got the Oakland A's possibly moving. The Seattle Mariners making big news with the Michael Pineda, Jesus Montero trade. And, of course, all the news that the uh, Rangers – and Angels have made. Let's just start at the top, though, J.J., the Texas Rangers. They made the biggest news of the week, signing Yu Darvish officially. Uh, we could debate the merits of Yu Darvish getting of – the, of the Rangers spending more than $100 million on Yu Darvish all we want. But let's talk about Yu Darvish as a number one prospect because he does, he does he's, jump he's... straight to the top of their prospect list, and that's not the same as jumping to the top of, say, the Indians' prospect oh, list. Oh, no. This is a stout prospect list to jump to the front of. Uh, this is one of the stoutest prospect lists 
and I don't think there's a question he's the number one guy in it. I and agree. I say I say that, and I love their number two prospect now, Jerickson Profar. You know the, the what really strikes me about the Rangers top ten the most is their philosophy as a franchise is writ large in their top ten prospects. It is the most upside top ten. It is the most foreign international, however you want to call it. It's not just Latin, obviously, because we're talking about you, Darvish, but it's the most international um, top, top ten in the in the of all of our top tens. It is the one with the most uh, risk, I would say, of any of our top tens, because there are a lot of these guys who may never see the major leagues. I mean, you're talking about six foot right-handers. You're talking about uh, pitchers who've had very little success above a ball. You're talking about guys with fifty to five strikeout to walk ratios. You're talking about guys who fit profiles and are dynamic, but have a lot of work to do at the same time. So it's a and it's, it is remarkable. Their entire top thirty, I think, there's only two players who are not higher extreme. I know that's the, tr- the truth between their eleven to thirty. That's for another podcast. But on the Baseball America grades, they have the riskiest top thirty in the book. Um, and they also and have, it deserves, and, and, but and it also has the highest, highest upside. Field. Absolutely, they are and, a high upside, high risk, high reward organization. That's their philosophy and. They put their money where their mouth is. And you know what? Considering now, we, we have to kind of – it's funny how this recalibrates. If you grew up like I did, you know, and like you did, in the kind of where your your formative baseball years were the late 70s, early, you know, and through the right. 80s. That, right. Those were my formative baseball years. I agree. I think of – like, for instance, I think of the Braves as – I have to remind myself that they're not a big market team. Right. Or a right. big revenue team. Because right. they were. They, they were. they had Ted Turner – when they had the Superstation, they were a team that could go out there and say, we're going to spend a lot of money. They spent their it downfall, Their downfall in the mid-'80s was that they spent lots of money on bad major league players like Alex Trevino. <laughs> you know, I remember those kind or, of oh, you know, Or Nick Asaski, you know, right. they sign him for a big contract, and then he gets vertigo. You know, right. They had all those kind of things. But they were a – and they're now – it's kind to call them a mid-revenue club now. They're, they're basically – they seem like their payroll has not – Change from the low to mid '80s since like the late '90s. I mean, right. they've been it's, like an eighty-five million dollar payroll for more than a decade. It feels like. Well, you have to also re- like the Rangers. Now, not that the Rangers have not had times where they've spent money because they have. Right. They have. Chan Ho Park, exactly. Alex Rodriguez. Yeah, they they spent money. Tom Higgs spent a lot of money. But that being said, they have really, they've taken steps recently. I, I think this franchise has essentially recast itself. Absolutely. It is a high-revenue team that is willing to spend money, and that reflects the, the high risk. They spend money They spend money to acquire talent Yeah. everywhere. Absolutely. I mean, we talked about the White Sox and the AL Central list, and the White Sox spend money to acquire talent nowhere except for the major league level. You know who they remind me of the most is like the early 90s Blue Jays. That's who they remind you of. It's a big market, and it's a f- uh, and they're never going to be back to back World Series, just like right. The Blue but they're also they they will f- go after talent anywhere. No one was as international as the Blue Jays back in the day. Jose Pet, Diego Mar, Markwell, Guillermo Quiros. I'm mean, like in the '90s, even after their heyday, they were spending money. Uh, Guillermo Quiros got like 1.2 million dollars out of Venezuela in like 1997. Diego Mar, Markwell, that was like 575k out of the. Curacao or in the Netherlands. That was coming out of Brazil. Brazil, yeah, 750K in 1993. That blew people's minds. Glenn Williams, $825,000. Wasn't he their signee out of Australia? No, Glenn Williams is a brace. 
Oh, he was the Braves. Okay, yeah. I can't remember who he was. I, I got, to, got to see him. That's in, good. In that, they yeah. were a big market team, right. big revenue team back then. But that's that's who the Rangers, they are. Oh, I a couldn't classic. help. The, the, the Orioles just signed a 17-year-old New Zealand softball player, and I couldn't help but think Travis Wilson that's right. the that's last right. uh, you know, New Zealand Futures softball gamer, player you know, that I can think of. But, who, this is, but this is, they, they, are, they are like, they remind you of like those Braves and Blue Jays teams of the early 90s in that they are, they, they are all about upside. And they're not going to draft – like other people draft, even when they draft college players, like a Mike Old. It's a guy with some big tools who also had big risks. He struck out a lot in college. So they are a fascinating, but, consistent and, and, organization. And the thing I've got to say with that is, is that if you are going to be a team that takes those risks, one of the things that's key to that is, is that you have to have a good development program as well. That they believe in. They, are, you, they are convicted that they can draft high-risk players and – and it's not going to be that, that right, there's because, less risk because they're Rangers. And the thing about it is, is right now, you could make some arguments. Like let's number two on this list, Jerkson Profar. When they drafted him, I mean, when they drafted him, when they signed him, he was considered. If you wanted to make him a hitter, it was high risk. Yeah, absolutely. He, the consensus was pitcher, no doubt. And they've not only let him be a hitter, but he's turned into something pretty special pretty quickly. I would say that the consensus of our top 50s was that he was the top shortstop prospect in the minor leagues ahead of Manny Machado. I, and I think, That's pretty loud. And, and I think there's a reason for that, which is Manny Machado, for all the good things he does. Excuse me. And he does. He does a lot of good things. Machado, though, when you talk to scouts, one question they have is, is you look at his body. You look at the size of him. You look at his feet is one of the things I've heard a couple guys say. You have to wonder, is he going to end up being a shortstop five, ten years down the road? Yeah, and that, no one has that worry with Profar. But the funny thing is, in his write-up, it talks about that he might defer to Elvis Andrus down the line as a second baseman or even a third baseman. He gives you those options because he has precocious power and plate discipline. And that's there's really it's really hard to knock a hole in Jurix and Profar. And one of the, my favorite encounters of the winter meetings actually this year was seeing uh, I think his first name is Don Young who's an attorney in Hickory, North Carolina, one of the part owners of the Crawdads, and somebody that remembered me. I saw him and said, hey, do you remember I used to cover the team back in the day on the Boulevard of Linden? And he actually did sort of remember me, and we talked a lot, and he said that in the 19 years of being part owner of the Crawdads, where they've had guys like Carlos Lee and uh, Maglio Ordonez and some other decent alumni, uh, and Profar is by far his favorite player. And he even told me a story about and Profar, having a little too much confidence when he was like pulled over at a traffic stop and irritating a police officer and the police officer calling Don Young and saying, Hey, this happened with Jerickson profile. He didn't get arrested or anything. I'm just saying it was like a routine traffic stop. And I guess the guy basically thought, and this, I'm sure this happens in Hickory, North Carolina and elsewhere in minor league burbs. He was a little too confident, had a little too much mouth. And he talked to Jerickson profile about it. And he said the thing that he liked the best was the way that Jerickson profile handled that matured from that and became Basically, somebody who knew that everything that he did was being watched in a small community like that and behaved appropriately. So and he's, we, we have, and we have no negatives on this guy. That's right. We have no negatives on this guy as a player, and all the reports of his makeup on the field are always about how the joy he has for the game. And now I keep getting reports on his makeup off the field being a top-notch, a guy who wants to be a star, and that's the way that he's a lot like Elvis Andrus, wants to be a leader. But- and let's just I say, think he's better. He has better say, tools than Elvis Andrus I mean, ever had. He, he's got, yeah, at the plate, right. he's better than Elvis Andrus. Yes. 
And he's got pop that Endress does not have. Just never ha- never showed the minor leagues and, and doesn't have. I do like to remember, by the way, though, that when those guys were all in the Saturday League, F Mart, Andrus, Tabata, I don't know if you remember, we had like a scout's view where the scout uh, that I talked to was like, you know, I'm going to take Elvis Andrus out of all those guys. And like Tabata was the guy that everybody was all fired up about. But I think we've always been Elvis Andrus guys and with good reason. But, okay, rewind for a second. We're yes. on to number one, you Darvish. Yes, good idea. I if you ask me, yeah, I do too. If you ask me, I know it's a lot of money, hundred and seventeen mil, I believe, something like that. You know, between the posting and the contract, not our money. So I really don't keep track of the the down to the dime. But you, I'll say this again: it fits with what the Rangers are doing. Here. Yeah. If you ask me, C.J. Wilson is a safer bet over Agree. the next five years. Agree. We know a lot more about what C.J. Wilson is than you, Darvish. But at the same time, you Darvish, every step of his career since he basically arrived in pro ball in Japan has been has better stuff, has always had better stuff than C.J. Wilson. And you add it up, to me, you Darvish, if you're the Rangers, the reason you do this is, is that you look at it and say, you Darvish is the guy who could win us a World Series. Yeah, I think that he was the best pitcher on the market this offseason, whether you're talking about trade or free agency. Uh, who would you rather have, uh, just in turn not involving the money, who would you rather have, Michael Pineda or you Darvish? I'd rather have you Darvish. I don't I, know if I'd rather have Michael Pineda than Matt Latos or Gio Gonzalez. I would definitely rather have Michael Pineda than Gio, Gio Gonzalez. Personally, Matt Latos is a good question. I, I'd I'll probably just... have Matt, Matt Latos over Michael Pineda, that's you, I forgot about Latos. I'd still rather have Darvis than any of those no, guys. No, I, I would, I would too. I mean, that could be a whole other podcast. Who would you rather have, Gio Gonzalez or Michael Pineda? I'd take Pineda. And I like, I mean, these are all guys. I, I, you know, if I had a team, I would like to have any of them. That's right, absolutely. Clear, but this guy is a guy where you didn't have to give up any players to get him. So for that the, helps. For the Rangers standpoint, I like that. Um, especially the other thing that he's a ready-made ace right now, and they need an ace. The, the, the thing is, and, for, uh, for, for the reason I like in these guys, the Blue Jays and the Braves, JJ, is that they're already good in the major leagues. So they can be I, – I think when you're already at that level of the major league, you could take more risks. It emboldens your scouts and your evaluators and, to go – because they see what, ch- what, what wins championships, championship tools, big tools like Nelson Cruz and Josh Hamilton. So they're out trying to find championship well, tools. And it goes a step further, too. When you are a really good team at the big league level, we see this the Yankees. The Yankees have a different approach than a lot of teams for a good reason, which is the role player for them is a trade piece, generally. Correct. Because they're not going to say, we're going to hand the job over to this guy and he'll be okay. Right. That's not That sufficient. doesn't happen very often because yeah. they already, they've already got, no, well, if that's the case, we'll go out and pay $10 million and get someone who's really good. Yeah, I, I, Brandon Laird's a great example. Like When he was in the Eastern League MVP, I remember him getting compared to Kevin Kuzminoff or you know Joe Randa, whatever average third baseman you want to think of in the last 15 years. That's who you know, Brandon Laird was getting compared to. Yeah, he's okay. He's on that borderline of first division, second division regular, but probably a second division regular. That means he's a decent prospect. But not for the Yankees. That means like that, you said, that, they can always go out and get the first means, division regular. That means that guy cannot – You, the Yankees can't say, hey, we're going to hand this job to this guy. Well, I think the Rangers are kind of reaching that point in some ways in that, look, they've got Elvis Andrews. Yeah, they are. Jerks and Profar, you know, maybe he moves, maybe Andrews, you know, 
that's the kind of guy who you say, okay, well, we've got to create room for him. Right, right. Mike Olt is a guy who down the road you may have to create room for him. Might. You know, that That's the kind of guy they're going after because they're not in a spot where the role player is that important to them as much anymore. Not that they still don't need them, but again, they're also they're spending more money now. Yeah, and, and, and they've generally – I think Darvish will be the biggest challenge, AJ, to see how well they're spending it, <laughs> really. Um, well, we're going to get it. The, the thing with that is, is what's great about that is, is you get a very quick <laughs> – we're going to find out pretty quickly. But I think the one position where they really don't have like a profile guy, uh, they're trying to find one in center field. I think that's why they think Leonis Martin could be their guy because David Murphy's really not a profile Right, and fielder. they don't want Josh Hamilton out there in but, center as, as, every day if they can avoid right. it. Right, and then I think the other spot is first base. and They had one. They traded him away. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now they have sort of Michael Young and sort of Mitch Moreland. Neither of those guys are real profile first baseman. That's why I think the, the proof of their approaching this like the Yankees, like they want a profile guy basically every spot, will be if they go out and sign Prince Fielder. Which, and I don't think it's going to happen, but, but it wouldn't well, shock I'll me. I'll say this. It wouldn't shock it would, me for one thing because – It fits everything else they're doing. For one thing, also, they can – I, hey, Scott Boris is a very, very good at getting money for his clients. Correct. <laughs> that being said, at this point, there's not a team out there who, if you're the Rangers, you can basically sit back and see, okay, we're going to give you a reasonable but not extravagant offer. And if you don't want to take it, that's fine. And if you want to go to the Nationals, that's exactly. fine. Exactly. But what are your other options? You can take, or if you want to take. Market seems to be dwindling. It it is, and most teams have spent a lot of their off season, what they had budgeted, and, and even the the you know the oh the mystery teams coming in at this point I I don't know if that works as much anymore. I agree. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. The other part of I guess about the Rangers list I do think is worth talking about. JJ is the risk inherent there. Um, which of their guys who I mean, like I think that we like their, uh, their top five is pretty easy to divine when it's Darvish. Profar, Martin Perez, Michael, Leonis Martin. After that, Daniel Ramirez, Cody Buckle, Jorge Alfaro, Christian Villanueva, Rugned Odor. And then you can go, and, I, and the best way I would put it is, is like if you get our handbook, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Yeah, Jordan Aikens at 12 is a pretty stout. I think he's 12. He might be 13 now. But it's not much. The difference, the gap between him and number six, Neil Ramirez, is not that large. It's the same vein of player. Which of those guys do you think is the safest bet, and which of those guys do you think is the biggest risk? I guess I should probably throw Leonis Martin into that group because he's not accomplished, in yeah. my mind, as much as those top four guys. I'd say the riskiest is Alfaro. He's a catcher for one. Right. His plate discipline right now consists of see ball, swing hard. That's it. That's it. Uh, I think it was like, what, 4 to 54 or something like yeah. that? Walk 4 to 45 or 5 to 50 no. or something. And which, hey, let me say this. He was a Colombian signee in 2010. Yeah. So if you have to add some – and he's a catcher. If right. you have to add some polish, there's there's some understandable reasons for that there. Correct. Because you're talking about a guy who is very young still. And it's always tougher if you're a catcher because you've come to – if you said you're going to just, you know, major in catching, right. like learning how to catch That's for two to three years, it takes a while to pick it up. Yeah, it's interesting to me that Profar has the best play discipline in their system. And I think that's one real risk of their – of all their high upside uh, hitters. Most of them have real play discipline and strikeout and contact rate issues. 
Um, I don't know that he's the riskiest, but I do think I, – I think I agree with you that Alfaro is the riskiest. I, I have my concerns about Cody Buckle. Um, he sounds like a guy I should love. He's like a big long-toss guy, Trevor Bauer clone in some ways, was Bauer's high school teammate. There's a lot of neat stuff in there, but I just can't – I'm surprised he ranked as high as he did just considering that he's a six-foot righty. It doesn't sound like there's really a – a premium pitch in there. There's a lot of good pitches and good control. Um, I want to see Cody Buckle do well. He's the kind of guy that I actually usually like. Right. But he just stuck out to me in this because system. He doesn't have as big of tools as the other guys do. You're, you're, I, I was, you're seeing a lot of 50-55s. Right, a lot of 55s. And maybe if you squint, it's a 60. You know, you, but, but, but not anything where you go 70. You know. There's a lot of guys in their system where you're you're look you're looking at some seventy tools elsewhere. And I also have my doubts about Leonis Martin. You know, I've talked to enough scouts who think he's a tweener and you know, I think that it's just harder to come from Cuba and be in the major leagues than people think it is. So uh I think all the UNS Cespedes fans <laughs> uh can can uh, appreciate that. There's been so much talk about Cespedes. Uh I, I think it's just harder to come here and play 160 games a year than people think it is. So uh, I, I'm not as high on Martin as the average bear. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast. I'm getting a lot of uh, feedback on Twitter about asking questions, but n- now the questions have all turned into, how are you doing? Oh, how are all you doing? <laughs> so like, that was Michael Schlacht's question, question actually, the uh, former Rangers farm. He might still be a Rangers farm. Doing actually. well. <laughs> and, and he says, like, yeah, and, that, and then uh, Dirk Hayhurst says, how are all of you doing? And then someone else says, how are all you doing? So it's I think it's, we're doing pretty well, off a little but, bit. you know, the handbook is, is done and, and all, so we're doing okay. Thanks for asking, guys. That's right. We're all doing well, and we'd love to have either of them on the show. We'll, we'll get to that after we record the podcast, uh, have them on the Skype. Uh, the Angels are the other big hitter in the division, J.J., clearly not the same level of farm system as the Rangers uh, despite Mike Trout's presence, it's really – and we've had this debate on the Angels. I think that you could make the case the Angels are one of the most inconsistent teams in the draft in terms of not signing guys and either really hitting or really whiffing. They're not a lot but, of in-between because they're also a high-risk, high-reward system. Right. And, again, with them, again, I think it makes sense to do that, though, because you have to take those big swings because the complementary piece isn't as important to them. How much did they spend on their outfield in the past four years? Well, just on center field, they spent a lot of money on center fielders. <laughs> my my point being that yeah, and they've brought and they've actually the funny thing is is they spent all that money and the two best center fielders they have in their organization oh, the are two, two guys that they developed. That's right, Borges, are, Borges and Trout. But the the point I'm making though is is that they're not going to go out there and say, hey, let's draft this solid college player. He's really he's kind of a tweener. He'll right. never be a regular, but he could be help. That guy is not the guy they're really going after. Generally, they're going after the guy who you say, okay, he has a chance. He has a tool that makes you think he could be. I do think I, I don't know if you can technically call this irony, but the fact that they won their World Series with uh, David Eckstein at second at shortstop, and they would never they didn't draft David Eckstein. He was a waiver pickup, but they would never draft a player like David Eckstein. He's anathema to everything that they do in the scouting and player development, at least previously. They've had a lot of turnover, J.J. Uh, well, we, we, we don't even know right now because, I mean, right now there's a, there's been so much turnover. It's like, okay, you know, we don't know on the player development side how, how much things are going to change. You know, Right now, how, how are is Scott Service, who came from Texas to uh, Anaheim, 
Is he going to kind of try to implement some of those Rangers high upside, high risk, high reward players? And will he be able to bring the same level of development Which, to the Angels that they've had in and, Texas? And, and I'll say this: that's uh, I give a thumbs up on that hire for the Angels. Oh yeah, I love Jerry Depoto's hire as a general manager, and the same thing with Scott Service as assistant the, the, GM. These these both make a whole lot of sense, and so we'll see. You know, we'll see what goes on going forward. But the scouting department hasn't changed as much, despite the fact they they got rid of Eddie Bain. Rick Wilson was his national cross checker. I've talked to Rick about this. I've talked to. Uh, to Jeff Malinoff, I've talked to area guys in their system. Not much about their basic philosophy has changed. I think Eddie was a casualty of basically a power struggle in, in the organization. And but then the, there was a casualty of a power struggle, and then there's been casualties since then of correct. other Absolutely. people in the power struggle. Absolutely. But I, I, you know, we're going to see Eddie Bain in a prominent position, and we do, before we see Tony Regan's. I'll take, I'll take Eddie's track record over Tony's. Um, but I do think... The legacy of that is that they're, they're just, it's not a good sign for your top ten when a third-round college reliever is in your top ten. I like Nick Morande. He's different from the average third-round college reliever because uh, I think he could start. But that's not usually a good not, sign, J.J. They also, have two college relievers also, in their top ten, and Daniel Tillman as well. Another way to put it is it's not a great sign. The, the Oram Owls have a very distinctive uh, cap. They do, and they also have a distinctive mugshot that they send out with the right. baseball in the background. That's and, annoying. And as there's heck. four other guys in their top ten. Nothing against, you know, Orum or anything like that. Or but, owls. Or owls with a Z. <laughs> but uh, but something against the fact that that's four guys in your top ten who have yet to really you know hit full season ball. That's kind of that's a that's a, a sign. Okay, there's a lot of guys who are a long ways right. away. Their 2010 uh, draft right now is the big issue for them because they had a lot of extra picks and they went super high risk on that. And some Chevy, of those guys have... and Chevy Clark was an overdraft, not working out. They've, they've had some draft picks who've instantly flamed out Chevy Clark and Ryan Bolden leaped to mind from two drafts in a row. They've had some injuries too. Cam Bedrosian's Tommy John surgery, not helping. Um, so that's why I said they've been very inconsistent in the draft and Caleb Cowart is a big X factor. And we'll see the consensus was that he was a pitcher, not a hitter. He wants to hit. He sees himself as Chipper Jones, part two, and uh, we'll see if he could be a switch-hitting third baseman with power. I don't think Chipper Jones ever struck out 81 times in half a year, um, no matter at any time in his career. So Caleb Coward has work to do at the plate, but I do like his talent. And, and we'll see also, uh, Taylor Lindsay had a very loud year last year. We'll he did. See, we'll see, you know, he's got to make the jump to full season ball, but you had 362 even, even in – Even in – yeah, in the Pioneer League, that's still – very, very good. Uh, I, I think. But we, we, funny, we, the guy we haven't talked about is almost because we we love him. He's great. That's right. He's super cool. We don't have that much more to add about Mike Trout. He's really good. We've said it all, and uh, it's it's a that's a nice way to start a top ten. Uh, I mean, that's and that's the thing is is that you know when we talk about other oh, top ten, you know, there's four guys you know who are in short season or Orem, you know, have a reliever. You know what? This is not still at that same level as some of these teams. Like when we were talking about some of these AL Central teams, if you got Mike Trout at the top of your list, yeah, you're you're a solid farm system right there. Because the reality of it is, is that you get more bang for if you can produce. If Mike Trout is the guy we think he's going to end up being, right. that is the that's a franchise changing type player. He's going to be worth a lot of wins in mm-hmm. his career, and. Uh... Here's a question. And he's the probably... kind of guy you can't you can't go out and just you can't go get that guy generally right. in EUA else but develop him unless you're willing look, Albert Pujols now, yes, the Angels went and got Albert Pujols. Right. 
They're it, not getting it cost them, <laughs> but it cost them. And also, they're paying to get Albert Pujols as he starts to go into the decline of his career. If they he's paid not him in it. right. They paid him a lot of money to say and with the idea you you have to go in this eyes open, especially length of that contract. We're not going to we're going to hopefully get him at his best early on, and then he's so good that even as he drops off, he'll still be a very useful player. Correct. And the other thing that. Uh... Yeah, I don't believe we've asked this question yet. We not consistently. We should do it for all four teams here in this podcast. How many top hundred guys do you have for the Angels? I think they're probably going to have three top hundred guys because I actually like Garrett Richards a little bit. I think the, I think three. I don't think Helwig. I like Helwig probably more than most. But Johnny I still, he's, not a, like... he's a fun number one hundred. If there are four, he might be number one hundred. But it's, I think if, it's three for his. For, he would be that number one hundred. I, I don't think he's got the track record yet. I don't think so say. either. But he'd be a fun number one hundred. How about the Rangers? How many top 100 guys for the Rangers? I have a feeling it's going to be at least five. And I think and when you get Neil to the Ramirez back, Neil Ramirez might mix. get in there. Exactly. He's it's, a it's a five to six. It's a five to six top 100. There are no nines this year. Rangers the Royals were nine last year, correct? Yeah, yes. I don't yeah. think we're going to have any nines. No, we don't have nine there, because the Rangers are in the top of our farm system rankings. They're not. I don't know if they're number one or not because we actually we haven't did actually, them. Yeah, we haven't yeah. set that yet. You Darvish, there's been moves that have made that exactly have changed things up. But the one that we did in the book did not include you Darvish, and I don't remember where they ranked, but they were in the top five. Um, now let's we're moving on to the the other the the. Also, the other half of the of the division, the lesser half, and it's not Sorry, as exciting. Guys. Let's start with the A's uh, in alphabetical order. Um, their top ten, JJ. At the time that we did it for the book, and the time that the issue came out, are radically different. Yes. And that's a good thing for the Oakland Athletics. When they did it for the book, their top thirty was bad. I think is the only way to put it. I agree. I mean, there was a whole lot of guys. There, I'll put it this way. There were guys who you said, wait, that guy's a top 10 guy? Right, right. And the response is, yeah, not because I really feel I have some strong conviction about this guy, but because someone, you know, you, you don't just leave it blank at a certain point. And that's that's the thing. You have to have right. 10 no matter what. No right. matter what organization I, it is, I, you have I, to have 10. Adrian JJ. Cardenas is the guy that jumps out to my mind. He was a top 10 guy, and I was thinking at this point – he was actually the guy where I think when he was in the top ten, we were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> we're and not putting this guy in the just, top and, ten. And look, nothing personal. Adrian. Nothing personal, but uh, Adrian Cardenas is not on the ascent part of his prospect path. Correct. I do love that both him and his former high school teammate, Christian Marrero, or Chris Marrero, are still prospect eligible. I think that's kind of laughable, but Adrian, Adrian Cardenas, Cardenas has former, former high school, our former high school player of the year. He him. was our high school player of the year. It wasn't a great year for high school players, but now with all these trades, as the A's punt really toward 2014, it was high school player of the year. Yeah, it really was In 2006, wasn't a great year. Yeah. But, but, but 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 the but the point. But back then he was a top ten guy, and we're like, yeah, man, that's not that's not good for the for the A's. Grant Green was way higher than. I, then I personally, it's like, man, okay, well, I guess I don't see who would put behind him. Now you look at it, and number one, number two, number four, number seven, number ten are Often all trades. guys that they've traded for this offseason. I do still think they're the top ten with the most 26-year-olds in it uh, with Michael Taylor. And then the biggest shock, I think, of any top ten to me is Jermaine Mitchell being in their top ten. And he's a neat story, and he's a guy that the A's really liked when they first drafted. Back in 06, speaking and of And that's the thing, it was 2006, and he was an old college junior, if memory serves. So Jermaine Mitchell's been kicking around a while. He's had some injury issues. 
He's always had speed. He's always had bad speed, but kind of a flat bad pass. So it's always a question of how much contact he's going to make and how impactful will that contact be. He seems like he's starting to put things together. He's a good story. I think the A's were hoping that he would have been ready maybe, say, two years ago. Um, better late than never, I suppose. They've got a lot of questions in their outfield. Jermaine uh, Mitchell and Michael Taylor are in that mix, as are newly acquired Colin Calgill, newly acquired Josh Reddick. Um, it's a complete wholesale change because last year their their main starting outfielders were DeJesus. Uh, I guess they have Coco Crisp back, Ryan Sweeney, and Josh Willingham. Three of those guys are, are gone. Crisp is back, and he'll be surrounded by these, you know, these and, young but guys. But the other way to put it, here's the difference we're talking about. These guys would be guys who are not very useful for the Rangers. Correct. Or the Angels. Absolutely. Because they're not they're not playing. When you're drafting... I mean, the, I'm not saying they can't. There's not a way. No, they're not, the, here's the reality. They're not Nelson the Cruz. But Nelson Cruz, when Nelson Cruz came to the Rangers, he was not more highly considered than some of these guys. Absolutely, yeah. They, left, they exposed him on waivers right. and kept him. And he turned into something. So I'm not saying none of these guys can turn in, but at where they are right now, you look at the A's, and it's like, there's opportunities there. Oh, yeah. You look at... The Rangers and the Angels, these guys were like, okay, that guy's going to sit in AAA in case there's an injury. Yeah. Let's and that's it, the difference. And let's put it this way. The way the A's have drafted, for the most part, for a decade or more, as chronicled, we all know in the book and the movie, uh, is great at getting complimentary players. Well, when you're complimenting Hudson, Mulder, Zito, Chavez, Tejada, Giambi, that's great. That's smart. When you're complimenting Kurt Suzuki, I love Kurt Suzuki, but when you're complimenting Kurt Suzuki... Cliff Pennington, Coco Crisp, Derek Barton, not so much. And that's where they're left, and that's why they had to punt for 2014. They have not drafted or developed or evaluated in trades very well when it comes to hitters for a long time. There's no other way to say it, is there, J.J.? No, and here's the guy guy I find fascinating, and I don't want to, you know. Grant Green. Grant Green. You're fascinated by Grant Green. I am fascinated by Grant Green. And one of the ways is, is, you know, moved to center field last year. And that just really, I, I, I kind of wonder about Grant Green as a center fielder. I, I don't know if he can be an impact guy as a center fielder. And there were questions about whether he could stay at short. But my whole question is, is that, you know, he's not a burner. I mean, that's, just, right. that's not his game. And we haven't seen a whole lot of power ever he, either. He might be a tweener. He he's, he could be destined to be a tweener because if he's not a center fielder, I don't think he has the power to go to a corner. No, so that's, I mean, that's the real issue. No. I mean, he doesn't have the power to go to a corner. I always thought the interesting thing to me was is that they moved him to center, which I don't understand why they did. I think his best position would be second base. That's one position that's not really open. Right. Yeah, they like Jamile Weeks because it's actually a, a bat they've developed that they like, and I think other people like as well. That's the big key is that it's not that they like – other people think he can be good. Now, to, to me, Grant Green, I think he has a chance to be a center fielder. There are a lot of scouts that tell you center field is easier uh, than the outfield corners no, I, in terms of in, especially converting. I, my, my thing, though, His is bat I don't has know, to fit in center field. Right, I have to say, it's, that's my question is, is, okay, what does he bring you? They and, clearly hedged their bets by bringing back Coco Crisp. I mean, A, they had to give money to somebody, but they hedged their bets with a guy who's best the, suited for center field if offensively If you're well. an A's fan, the hope you have, though, is that their top four, you know, very rarely do you hit on four if you have four pitchers at the top of your list. Very, right. They hit on all four. If you hit on all four of these guys, you've got a pretty impressive rotation. Well, the best part is, about that is that you have two of those guys in Parker and Peacock have already been in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. And then you have another guy in Sonny Gray 
who has already been in Double A, and who's he should move quickly. And at the very least, I think people think that he's going to be a, a great relief pitcher if he doesn't stay as a starter. And I then you've got start. a high upside guy in AJ Cole. Exactly. So it's a good group. No, no, They're going to have four guys. Absolutely. Well, now we we ask the question. So how many top hundred guys do you think are here? I know there's four. I think four. it's four. I, I know. I think it's five. I think that Michael Choice is going to be in my top 100. So the A's probably have five top 100 guys, which is shocking. Which and the difference is, is that before these trades, they had one. The, uh, I guess Choice. Choice. Yes. And I don't think. I mean, I know two. Sunny Gray. No, Sunny sorry, Gray would have yeah. been. Yeah. They, sorry, had they had two. two. And now so they they've have, added three. Yeah, they've added three. So they have added. Not talent. bad. They they did add talent. I I like these trades uh, for Oakland. How they did a good job and. I still am somewhat concerned that they didn't trade for more bats because they've shown me they know how to develop pitching, and then they do know how to trade for pitching but they as well. Haven't had an off, they haven't I don't had an know that I, I still don't trust their ability to evaluate hitters. Um, nothing personal against those scouts, but they have not drafted and developed or signed internationally a lot of hitters yet. And conspicuous in his absence, Michael Anoa. <laughs> um, it's been a rough six years for that franchise. Moving on, Seattle Mariners, J.J., I know you did the, the Baseball America show last Sunday, coming up again this Sunday, uh, as it is every Sunday, 7 o'clock Eastern Time, XM89, Sirius 209. Uh, John and J.J. will host the Sunday. Uh, Actually, I'm off, I'm off this one, I thought. I don't think so. Okay. I think you're on the schedule. Double right, check right. the schedule. Uh, <laughs> that'll be for after the podcast. Pineda for Montero trade. Jesus Montero goes straight to number one for the uh, for the Mariners. Really, no question there. Uh, who had worse hitting prospects before this trade, Seattle or Oakland? That's a tough call. Ooh. Seattle, I'd say. I think Seattle as well. Although I like Nick Franklin, um, but uh, you know they don't have they don't have any power in their farm system unless the, uh, until you acquire uh, Jesus Montero. Who has lots of now power. they have lots of power. Uh, pitching prospects, even after the trade, who do you like better? Tawan Walker, uh, James Paxton, Danny Hudson, or your top four guys, I guess, Parker, Peacock, Cole. Um, who would be your fourth Mariner that you'd be throw into that? Chance Ruffin. Yeah, is there a starter? No. It would have been Compos, but they traded him. Um, who, which, which would you take, the four uh, A's guys or the three Mariners guys? It's not That's an easy tough. one. That's tough. I probably would take the three Mariners guys. But I, I'm a big Taiwan uh Tawan Walker fan. I, I'm I'm a I think you got a better I think you have a better chance of having you know, you've got a couple lefties there. I always like that. But it's close. That's very close. What about you? I think I would take Seattle's on upside because I actually believe a lot in uh they're left-handers, even though I have questions. Like, I don't think Danny Holtz was the second-best player in the draft. I really do like him. I'm fascinated to see how his delivery and all that hoo-ha will work. I'm really fascinated. We can tell that story. I mean, like, we've told it before. Like, we said it on the you know, next show. But you saw Holtz in this year. Again, we'll do our standard disclaimer. We're not scouts. I wish I could show on the podcast the little deep the knee bend that he does, which apparently the Mariners are trying to take away. But you got the knee bend, and you came back and you said, how have I not heard multiple guys talking about how crossfire he is? Yeah, he's incredibly crossfire. And I asked a couple scouts after the draft, why is he not compared to a left-handed version of Kyle Sleeth? Because a lot of area scouts around here, or even cross-checkers, saw Sleeth 
Wake Forest 2003 who was Tigers. Pro- I think he was the third overall pick in the draft. He might have been second, Which, it, fourth. He was in the top story, four picks. Uh, this is a little scouting story for things not to do. Yeah. If you draft a guy in the top five picks of the draft and he's really crossfire, don't draft him with the idea of, hey, we're going to bring you in. We like you. We're gonna but we've got to change you because you're this really crossfire delivery. We can't let that. I mean, that's gonna. We can't let that go. So the question is, with, has always been with Sleeth that I've never gotten a great answer to because Kyle Sleeth was a stud. Yeah, uh, he was we big saw time. Him. He was. He was really good, and he went fourth overall for a reason. I guess it was fourth overall. But the the big issue to me was, uh, did he get? He had Tommy John surgery, and he's a guy who did not come back well from Tommy John surgery. I think that just says that he didn't do the rehab properly because most people who do it do come back. So that's on sleeve. But did he have Tommy John surgery because he threw crossfire or because they changed him after he threw crossfire? I don't think we can really answer that question. I'm of the belief that people have muscle memory oh, and uh, they develop me, Danny muscle Holson's memory. Who Danny Dolson is. That's it. So you can't change him. You, I mean, you can – and there's well, no, you shouldn't change well, let me it. Make clear, let say. me make clear too. There's different things like, and you know, neither of us we're not scouts and we're not pitching coaches right. either. But we talk to a whole lot of people. We we're have both an fascinated interest in pitching, correct? And the thing that jumps out is we have an informed opinion about it. What jumps out is is that when you say you can't change, you can. There may be a point if Danny Holtzson hits a point and you go, you know what, what you are doing does not work, right? Well, then you change. And if something happens because you changed them, you, you had no choice. And the whole question for me will be there are judging th- that success because they're talking about jumping him straight to the major leagues, J.J., and that's going to be and, and if, very difficult to judge. Is he not succeeding? If he doesn't have success, is he not succeeding because he jumped straight to the major leagues? Or is he not succeeding because there are things with he's crossfire delivery that are, that are concerns? I think it helps him get inside, though, mm-hmm. to right-handed hitters. I think his whole repertoire plays off that. And to me, the whole question is, he produces high-quality stuff doing what he does now. So you That's can't. why I would not want to change it. Right. Uh, the other way to say it is, is that... I would give him a long time of failing before I changed it. That's the, what I should say. The other say. way to put it is, is that, and there's a difference, changing a crossfire delivery is more significant than saying, hey... We're going to move you a little bit where you set up on the rubber. Right. There are things that you can do like, okay, yes, when you move from where you're set up on the rubber, your eye, your picture, you know, you, it takes a little while to get comfortable with the new angles and all that. But you're not asking them to change muscle memory. Right. If That's you right. say, you know what, we noticed that you're pulling your, when you're, your takeaway, you're bringing the ball out of your glove too soon or too late. The Matt Moore thing where he basically like changed the way he did his hands uh, above his head before instead of, you know, helping. Again. You're tweaking. Those are tweaks. But you're not – that's not the same thing as saying, to me, those much bigger changes are you're crossfire and we're going to straighten you out. Or That's basically fundamental to who you are as a pitcher. But here's also my question with that is, is that, that when you see a guy who's crossfire, is he crossfire all the time? Because if you're talking about a guy who, well, two pitches he's crossfire, the next pitch he's straight on, the third pitch he opens up. Right. That's a different story. Then you're saying we've got to get you to where you are consistent. Exactly. We need a consistent direction to the plate. Don, Danny Halton has consistent direction it's to always, the plate. Like, I mean, it's got this little spot where he lands. His mechanics are pretty consistent. I'm not going to say whether they're good or bad because I don't even believe that's an answerable question. But they but are consistent. They're consistent, and A, then, and he throws quality stuff the way he does it, and he throws quality strikes the way he does it. So to me, 
You leave him alone, and the to whole me, question is try, can he do it every not five tweaking. days? That's not tweaking if you try to change him. That's, yeah. That's changing. That's overhauling, and I, I don't think he needs an overhaul, and the well, whole subject will be can he do it every five days instead of every seven days. And, again, if you do, if you draft a guy number two overall to me, that's what you're, you're, you you believe you you've got him for what he is. They've given they gave him a pretty fat contract. It's, JJ. it's one of the biggest contracts in draft history. And, and they clearly believe in the way that he does it. You may disagree with me on this, but to me, it's also different. Like if you see a guy, if you're a scout and you see a guy who's got good stuff and he's got delivery problems, and you take him in the eighth round, overhaul away. I, I don't because I don't disagree with you there actually. Because then you're talking about yes, and there's muscle memory on it. But you, what you're saying is is he lasted to the eighth round because That's right. teams don't think the way he does it now, he can make it. That's right. I think that I, I, it is different. They've put a lot of money behind Danny Holtzen as he is. How do you feel about James Paxton? I mean, he's an indie ball guy, so you should and like that, him. You should be inclined to like him, even though he was not very good at independent baseball. Not his, dominant. His season last year, though, was pretty loud. And one thing that actually has convinced me on James Paxton, I used to be pretty low on him, but you know, the Mariners have been on him since he was an amateur in Canada. And he was on uh, that same – he was on the Scott Matheson's dad's team, the Langley Blaze, uh, home of Kyle Lotzkar, a guy that you like. Um, but they've got a long history with James Paxson. I know all teams saw him in that back in the day, but they didn't draft him off of what he did at Indie Ball. That was a blip to them. And I think the most important thing is that he actually did get at least a little work in during his oh, no, long holdout. Uh, but no. Yeah, and the other That's thing my is point that- is he – he, it would have been better if he were either pitching in college right. at that time or in someone's but, minor league and, system already. And the thing about it is is that he came out. At, a lot of these guys who have that long layoff, that first year back, yeah, things go poorly. Right. Another, he has they other didn't miti- go poorly for Paxton. They didn't. He has other mitigating factors. He was young for his draft year. I don't think he turned 21 until even after he was drafted by the Mariners. And, I could be wrong, but he, I know he was young for his draft year the year he got drafted by the Blue Jays. Um He's also, and again, he's Canadian, somewhat of a fresh arm. And he was at Kentucky, which frankly has a pretty good track record of developing pitchers. Brandon, uh, Webb, is Brandon Webb and Joe Blanton stick out in my mind. But they've had other prospects who've uh, they've, done, they've done a pretty decent job see, with it over you know, the we years. Got, and we've got others coming up, too. We'll we do. Alex That's Meyer right. and his uh, five balls in one hand uh, hands. So. He's the uh, candy man of the uh, 21st century. That's right. So, yeah, and I like Reference that. Reference for our, our he's, he's not quite early. He's not early Lombardi, though. No. I was showing that picture around yesterday. But yeah, I like I like their top three. We haven't even talked that much about Tawan Walker. He ranks ahead of both those left-handers. This guy just sounds like, J.J., everything you're supposed to have in a pitching prospect. Pitcher's frame, quick arm, athleticism, now stuff, youthful, swing, swing, more than one swing and miss pitch. The only thing that's a negative on Taiwan Walker is that he's been in low class A. Otherwise, there's no negatives. It seems like with this guy, there's so much to like, and he's a pro- he's and a prospect to get very excited it's, it's, about. It's interesting to say that, and that's one of the things that is useful about the minor leagues is his heels in low A. I promise you, next year, you accept a double A. Well, here's some negatives. That's right, because that's what You're that's right. what the minor leagues are for. You're right. Is that it is we said this with Jerson Profar. At low A, a guy like that is so good that it's hard to find the negatives. Yeah, you're right. Guy goes up to double A, you'll find some negatives because, you know Baseball what? hard. <laughs> Baseball's hard. Older guys are able to find these things. Rewind it. Like, we, I, you know, I, I got Royals on the brain. I did my Royals That's chat okay. yesterday. Will Myers, when Will Myers was in A-ball, hard to find much to not like. You're right. Especially at the plate. Will Myers goes to double A. Pitchers, and gets a staff infection. And gets a staff infection. But pitchers find out, oh. 
Eli doesn't like the ball in on his hand. There's a hole. What? We're gonna. We are going to throw to that hole until he proves it's, it's in low A. I don't know where the hole is. I'm just out here trying to do my thing. <laughs> yeah, my I'm just thing trying is, to throw the ball near the plate. My thing is, is if I can get them that umpire to put his arm out. That's right. I have succeeded on By this By the pitch. time you get the double A, oh, wait a minute, this guy has a hole, and, and I, I can, actually can exploit it. Right. And guess what? The relief pitcher who's coming in who's throwing 97, he can exploit it too. And the lefty specialist who we're going to have come fa- – yeah, it, it is a different game. There's a, And that's what I just want to say with Taiwan Walker. It does, that When we're saying that, that does not mean he doesn't have holes, but it is much harder to find them at that level than it is when they go my, up a lot. My eyes are terrible. <laughs> I'm looking I'm trying to hear something. I'll find to, the hole for you. Find the hole. What did, <laughs> where was the hole? That's awful. It is dark here. Let me just say this. It's dark in the podcast nook. Do we even turn it? Is that light on or is it just burned no, out? I think it's just off. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to think as, as little of my eyes as I was about to, because I was really disappointed. I just got my eyes checked. His last command year. and control still needs some polish, which could be said about, Every that's exactly A-ball right. pitcher. Every A-ball pitcher. No, uh, actually, excuse me. Every A-ball pitcher whose name was not Kevin Slowey. That was the one guy who. <laughs> that's right. Like that was always the example of. His oh, actually, his you know this is one guy I can say you could throw a current sixty command gun. Vinny Catracula, believe or not believe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. I'm probably not. Uh, and that better was a, you than that me. That was a JJ Cooper type. Uh, uh, Vinny C. What do you th- what do you how do you feel about Vinny C? I'm not a believer yet. Sorry. That was a shorter answer than I was anticipating because I was going to turn the light on. But (laughs) (laughs) he had a great year last year. He did. He had a great year. It's tough, though, because the scouting report on him is first baseman. Maybe he can play a little bit of corner. Yeah, he's like a fringy. That's right. Honestly, he sounds like, you know what he reminds me of is Brandon Laird. (laughs) That's who he sounds a lot like. Hey, Brandon Laird had a great year. The Eastern League's a harder league to hit in, and he blew up the Eastern League and dominated it and was a first base, third and, base, left field type. And he sounds like Vinny had a better offensive year than Brandon Laird. In a better offensive environment. In a better offensive environment, but not that much. But I mean, the travel in the Southern League is really difficult. So I respect what he did. That he kept doing in the Southern League after he was in high desert. But Brandon Laird's scouting reports are better on defense. He could actually be an average maybe and that's a tick the thing above third baseman. To me, if you said he's going to be a definite first third baseman, yeah. But yeah, so that that's the that's the concern I have is is that the bar and we've talked about this before, the bar if you are a first baseman who can play a little bit of outfield, especially if you're a right-handed hitting guy who does that, it's really high. I mean, it's just it's, really high. It's very now, high. Hey, if you rewound this, I don't think this is going to happen. But if you rewound this, go back 25 years, you could probably find a similar scouting report on Edgar Martinez. You know, coming up. He was a third baseman who really... We had those. I was just looking yeah. at those uh, for the, uh, for the Hall of Fame at... thing. Actually, one of the ones that we had on the, on the Prospect blog talked about how good he was on defense. Uh, that he was a solid, uh, good hands third baseman. But, yeah, I think that Vinny... Um, not... The jury is still out for me on Vinny. I think he deserved to be in the top ten, oh, yeah. certainly. He, he and... had a very loud season, but I, and he wasn't both, that old for the league. We're both more Fernando Martinez guys that they got from the Tigers. Right. And this, and is hey, it Fernando or Francisco? It, no, it's Francisco? Francisco Martinez, thank you. But Francisco Martinez hasn't done as much yet. But also, at the same time, though, there's a whole lot of thinking that he will keep getting better and better and better because there's a lot of tools there. Yeah, I'm a believer. I, I, I commend you for bringing him to our attention first last year in the Florida State League, and uh, I'm definitely a believer, and I found scouts who are believers in the Eastern League as well on Martinez. So how many top 100 guys have you got for the Mariners? I'd say 
five. I think it might be six. I could see a six. I think I Francisco Martinez. Martinez might be in there. So this is, you know, we're talking about a decent amount of top 100 guys out of a 14 division. We've got a six, a six, and a five. Oh, plus I'll put it this three. way. We just came through the desert. Oh, yeah, the central. Yeah, did we even talk about we that didn't do the that. We didn't do that on that. But we Addison can... Reed's a one. So Cleveland's a one. I know we did it for both those teams. The the uh, Royals are going to be how many? Well, so, so we'll get to that. The Twins is Sano's a definite. You did the Twins, so help me here. Who else? How many would you have from the Twins? <laughs> it's really hard because, like, is Aaron Hicks a top 100 guy? Not for me right now. See, I think he's in – I think I even had him – I might have had him in my top 50. Not, I, I, I just – I'm nothing – like. Like, I don't know that Joe Benson is a cinch top 100 guy for some people. No. I think he is. But, I mean, like, Eddie Rosario, he may not be a cinch top 100 guy. Miguel Sano is. They have one for sure. And they could go anywhere they from could go as two. As they could go one, two, four. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, the Royals, I'd say probably have five. Um, John Lamb yeah. is probably the yeah. cutoff where you say, I don't – I he could. As Madonna said, he's going to be on the borderline. He's like, yeah. I mean, if he was healthy, he'd be in it probably. But you, it's hard to be a – Jared Parker made it last year. Right. Um, I want to say – Jared a, Parker was a ninth overall pick Jared in the Parker draft. Jared Parker was a ninth overall pick who threw harder. And James Lamb also had an earlier John injury. Lamb, yeah. John Lamb, thank you. Who's James Lamb? His dad. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, who's, the, who's the Lamb who plays for UConn? Deron Lamb? I cannot remember. The tall, skinny guy. That guy's good. Um, the rest of the American League Central, like you said, that's the desert. Um, um, the Indians there? and White Sox are one apiece. Uh, Twins are somewhere between one and four. Between one and four. The White Sox are five. And, and the Detroit White, no, is no, not no, that The Royals many. are five, yeah. The Royals, yeah. Detroit's two. Detroit's two. Castellanos and Turner. So, yeah, the American League West is carrying more than its fair share uh, in that debate. We're going to wrap up this American League West podcast, and we're going to come back with another podcast that you'll see the first early next week. Um, we're talking about the Prospect Handbook the changes that we've made to the prospect handbook, the goodness that is the prospect handbook. And I also need to remind people that uh, college preview time is here. And Aaron Fitt, today as we were recording this, is in Columbia, South Carolina, hanging out with his main man, Michael Roth, for a feature for an upcoming Baseball America cover feature. Um, but we're going to have a lot of college baseball podcasts while Aaron is here. One of them probably will be recorded at the Backyard Barbecue Pit. And Aaron will be eating, and I will not because I'm all pitted out, uh, thanks to my brother. Uh, on my birthday. But uh, lots of podcast goodness to come at Baseball America. And the college preview will begin starting up uh, February 17th, I guess, is when the season starts, like the 21st, your first weekly Monday Baseball America college podcast. So lots of podcast stuff to look forward to. JJ, thanks for being here. And thanks to you for listening to the download here on the Baseball America podcast. Until so next time, so long, everybody.